Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snowett. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 2, Episode 61, National Capital Chapter of Trout Unlimited's President, Andrew Reichart. We're going to discuss what's new in his chapter, the goals for upcoming events and fundraisers, and where he wants to lead his chapter, the IF4, which is coming to Washington, D.C. on September 26th. We'll talk about Andrew's trip out west to guide school, then we're going to finish it up with a trip that he took to New Zealand. Sit back, enjoy this episode. There are no sponsors for this one. If you or someone you know wants to do some advertising, they can contact me through my website. And let's get on with this episode. All right, we're good. Uh, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name's Andrew Reichart. I'm the uh, new president of the National Capital Chapter of Trout Unlimited. Uh, been living in Washington pretty much my entire life. Um, been fishing for about five years now, uh, fly fishing for about five years, been fishing on and off since I was a little kid. What made you get into the fly rod? Um, so Remick Smothers and I went to high school together and, uh, when he was starting up Fly Times DC a few years back, I went out trout fishing with him a few times, went out to Gravelly for stripers, stuff like that. Kind of got hooked and been fly fishing ever since. So. And now you're the president of a TU chapter. Yeah. That, that, was... that chapter's known for, like, old dudes, and you're the president. Yeah, you know, it's uh, part of the youth movement. We got some got some young guys coming in, so we're excited to kind of mix things up. And I'm sure that's something we'll kind of talk about more as yeah. we go through the evening. So. What made you decide to go for president? Just shake things up, get, like you said, the young blood in there? Um, well, New was... ideas? Well, so I, I joined the board last fall, and um, 
they used to obviously host that fly fishing show out of Georgetown Prep every year. Right. And uh, since they since the demise of the show back in 2013, they've kind of been um, going through sort of a lull or in between sort of major phases. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, between other than really Shad Night, the chapter had kind of sort of. Um, slowed down a lot and so when I joined last fall I kind of had some ideas of my own about how I wanted to do things and um, you know the board was pretty supportive and then Tom Mann who was our president he's now retired both from his career but also kind of wanted to take a step back from the TU chapter he's also gone half the year yep he great grandchildren in... that can fish can yes tell you that. yep so he's yeah he spends uh about half the year in France, so I think we need to do a trip if we'll host us. Yeah, that was, south of France. Hey, I, I would not turn my nose <laughs> up at that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, in the spring, uh, Tom announced that he was going to be stepping down, and we needed someone to kind of s- step into that role as president. And um, it didn't seem like anybody else really necessarily had the time or necessarily the interest in that big of a role with the chapter. So I kind of. S- stepped into it and uh that's how i kind of ended up being president you know i have i had some very definite ideas of what i hope to accomplish so um i think being president rather than just a, a board member gives me a better opportunity to kind of make an impact and Absolutely. take things forward all right so tell us about the chapter do you know how many members you have we have uh just under 1100 members um out of those, I'd say about five to six hundred are active. You know that are might come to at least one outing or meeting or donate. You know whether it's gear or money or time every year. So I'd say you know probably about half of that is our active membership, and we're hoping to obviously increase that number over the next few years. And as national capital, what is your jurisdiction? That you guys so cover? we cover all of DC proper and. Most of Chevy Chase, Bethesda, parts of Potomac, Cabin John. And then once you get further out, outside the Beltway, it becomes Seneca Valley to you. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we don't actually have a single trout stream within our geographic location. Yeah. So we're a little different than some TU chapters around the country in that we, when it comes to cold water conservation, we have to look outside our own boundaries. One of the largest chapter in the country is in Texas. Yeah, that's true. I always find amazing. Yeah. So it's, it's nice in some ways because it means that we can be, we don't have to be so focused on our own geographical area that we can sort of look outside in other parts of the mid-Atlantic for projects we might, we might want to get involved in, which is, you know, I think, an advantage in some ways mm-hmm. for us, for sure. And where do you guys have your chapter monthly meetings? So our chapter meetings have been moved. We used to be at that Bethesda Civic Center right, right by the Metro, and we're now at um, Rock Bottom Brewery. Nice. So, yeah, it was... So this piece of paper, I may or may not have gotten a whole bunch of these okay. from one of the cabinets in the former facility. Oh, really? Yeah. You yeah. guys had to move because they started doing that ladies crossfit class right across the way through that window yeah so that very distracting yeah so that was that was uh i think the space was an issue in terms of we had to share it with other groups and then also i mean one of the complaints we always heard was you know it's not exactly the most uh not the most fun atmosphere in that 
in that Civic Center and then also just how hot it always was. Right. Um, and we always had a lot of complaints about that over the years. So I think moving to Rock Bottom has been a really good thing for us because we now have our own private space. You know, Rock Bottom's got some pretty good beers on tap and, you know, did good you, food. So Do you give you guys any specials? Yeah, we... Um, Every every meeting we have, uh, you know, we have sandwiches that they provide us. Nice. So yeah, it's been pretty good. So, right on. Yep. Is it more fun than Whitlow's, the beach bar? Uh, it's just a very different kind of. It's a little. I'd say it's a little less uh, of a dive bar, you know, which I love about Whitlow's. Yeah. But you know, it's it's a different environment. Uh, Rock Bottoms are pretty, you know, sort of upscale bar as far as things go. So. I'm watching a mosquito that's been flying around yeah, your back. No worries. All right. I don't want you to get malaria in my yard. Yeah. I'll I think I'll my be insurance okay. covers that. <laughs> All right. So you're rock bottom. And yep. do you see what month you, or what uh, day you guys meet? So we meet the second Wednesday every month. All right. Yep. And uh, except for a couple of times. So our first meeting this year is going to be IF4. That's going to be September 26th, so the last Tuesday. But after that, it will be the second Wednesday. All right. <clears throat> what are some of the causes your TU chapter has taken up? So one of the things that I'm doing as president of the TU chapter is I'm instituting this idea of the three pillars, which is conservation, which has you know, always been sort of TU's sort of core mission. Uh, the other is community service. And then the last is education and instruction. So... Conservation, obviously, being restoring, reconnecting, protecting, you know, cold water habitats and trout living around the mid-Atlantic. Um, our community service for now is our Project Healing Waters chapter that we just started. And our education and instruction is the Tri-State Youth Camp, uh, Youth Casting Days. We're going to be doing some fly tying instruction, some fly casting instruction. So... We're going to focus out away from just conservation to try and be a more holistic fly fishing centered organization that obviously conservation is at the heart of, but that we go in sort of a more multifaceted direction. Do y'all have monthly outings to go trout fishing together? Um, we don't just go trout fishing. We're So one of the things that I'm changing as president is we're we're really switching things up away from the more typical TU chapter model of outings where it's we'll meet at this trout stream and we'll go fish for the day and then we'll go to some restaurant and drive home. Um, and you kind of guide yourself and, you know, it's just sort of be at one time, you know, be in one place at one time. Um, in October, uh, we're going to have Matt Miles up to talk about musky fishing and then we're going to bookend that with a musky float trip down on the James River. Nice. Which, it will also do smallmouth. It's going to be sort of, you know, if you want to go for musky, you can go for musky. If you don't want to cast a fly the size of your sock all day, you can, you know, go after smallmouth bass. And then November, we're going to have a steelhead talk, and then we're doing our steelhead trip up to the tributaries up around Erie, Pennsylvania. You got a speaker for that already? Um, we do not. Okay, I'll jump I'll, in. I'll do yeah. steelhead talk. Absolutely. Heck yeah, because I already yeah. did a snakehead one for you guys. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. So I was with uh, Captain Mike Starrett. Okay. Gotcha. There were some people sleeping. I don't know if it was me or Mike, but yeah, there were a couple people okay. sleeping during that one. Yeah, I mean, snakehead, is a, that's an acquired taste. Yeah. You know? it's, 
I might have to join you guys for that trip down from yeah. Muskie. Yeah, absolutely. You're taking yeah. your boat? Uh, I'm not sure yet. What do you have? So I have a Outcast 1300. So it's a 13-foot, three-seat uh, fishing raft. Inflatable? Yes. You can yeah. go all over with yeah. that thing. Like, you can put that in a roach's run. Yeah. Have you, you done that yet? I have not. Oh, no. Gravely for stripers this year? Yeah, that would be that would be interesting. As long as uh, TSA doesn't come out, you know. And oh, you're fine. Take me away. So. Yeah. You're good there. Yeah. Uh, you can, man, you can do four mile all winter. I could, yeah. I'd say Blue Plains. Can you put an outboard on it? Um, so you can put in at the park in Old yeah. Town and go right across the Blue Plains. I probably could, yeah. Yeah, I, have, I haven't really thought about that. So far, I've only used it out on the north branch of the Potomac in Western Maryland. That's a far yeah. drive. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's, but it's been a lot of fun. I, I mean, I'm a trout fisherman. That's sort of my, my area that I'm really focused on right now. So getting the raft has kind of been a game changer in terms of what water I can kind of get access to. So, I love a bumper boat, man. Yeah. I so I, there's, I'm very limited with my boat mm-hmm. where I can take it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I with can't that, hit rocks with it. Yeah, no. I can. I just don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that stealth craft is a, a pretty nice. Yeah. We'll go play it later craft. if you want. Yeah. I have a beer in the back. Yeah, light absolutely. It up. So. Yeah. All right. Let's see what else we have on our list here. Uh, so outings. What about social media? Uh, now you're pretty on top of it for your chapter. Yeah. So we. So one of the big changes I've made since taking over the chapter um, is we got a Facebook page. We got Instagram and Twitter. You've modernized it. We've modernized, yeah. So, and um, the other thing we're doing is we're going to be built. We're in the midst of building a new website, which will be going live in the next couple of weeks. Um, which is, you know, we've been working on as a chapter for several months now. I'm pretty excited about. So, our old chapter website's a little bit dated at this point. And it was kind of time for a facelift. So. You want to talk about Shad Night? That seems yeah. like you mentioned that earlier. That's one of your yeah. big, uh, so, big ones. Yeah. So Mark Binstead obviously is sort of the the authority on Shad. Him and yeah. his son Alex, obviously. I need to get them on. It's yeah. just a matter of logistics. Yeah. But um, yeah, so Mark has been absolutely instrumental in kind of turning Shad Night into sort of our our. Uh, hallmark night you know of the year it's sort of i mean we get over 100 people every year compared to an average turnout of about 40 you know for a normal meeting and um you know i mean there's obviously a ton of excitement every spring you know people have been cooped up in their houses all winter you know excited to get out and go fishing so shad night's been really good for us both as a you know an opportunity to kind of bring a lot of fishermen together in one place but also a chance for us to raise funds for the chapter a chance to sort of draw attention to you know Fletcher's and the Cove and you know that stretch of the Potomac and Mather's Gorge so it's um I would say that's you know something we want to obviously maintain as one of our sort of major keystone nights every year for the chapter you could put your boat in at Fletcher's this year or next season too I could yeah absolutely oh my goodness yeah it's definitely going to open up a lot of fishing opportunities so I'm excited and you don't have to row People that will go with you will row for you. Yeah, so so Dalton, obviously TPFR president, and Trent from Orvis Bethesda, three of us headed out to Western Maryland on Sunday and fished the North Branch and and uh, had uh, a lot of shenanigans. It was yeah, we had some shenanigans. Uh, the water was up because they were doing a whitewater release. So okay. 
it's typically you know 275 300 cfs this time of year and it was you know at about a thousand but Ooh. it wasn't it wasn't too bad um the water was cold so that was good because this time of year obviously you don't want to be fishing oh, out there if it's 75 degrees i swear there were trout in our swimming pool in the neighborhood today it was yeah. cold yeah i'm supposed to go in for raft night tomorrow mm-hmm. because my daughter i i don't want to go mm-hmm. that water's cold right now i mean it's, yeah you're wearing a hoodie. I just took mine off, but yeah. this is atypical weather right now. Oh, yeah. No, it's been a chilly August, which, you know, I wonder what our fall is going to be like. Yeah. So. I mean, if you can see my pumpkin plane out there, it's 75 feet long right now. Oh, wow. It's been just cool and rainy. Yeah, that's good condition for pumpkin growing, for yeah. sure. I can't even weed my garden because mm-hmm. there's so much damn pumpkin out there. <laughs> nice. All right. So, let's see. we got outings, uh, <laughs> fundraising, social media. Anything else from NCCTU? Um, you know, in terms of... What, where you want to take it in the future? Yeah, I mean, our, our goal is, you know, to kind of build things out. Um, we're kind of in a fledgling stage of where I kind of envision us going, which is, you know, our, our conservation side is, you know, kind of limited right now. And one of the things... One of the things I, I think about, not just for our chapter, but about TU kind of on a larger scale is that we you kind of have to make do with what you got around you, which obviously that was kind of the, the central theme of the film you were in, you know, urban lines, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, you fish where you are, you fish with what you got and not everybody can, you know, take off and go to, you know, Wyoming or Montana or, you know, New Zealand anytime they want to go trout fishing, you know, or they want to go fishing in general. And we've got the Potomac river right outside our door, you know, rock Creek obviously has its, challenges um in the in the anacostia and so one of the things i think we want to actually focus on is moving away from only being focused on trout because we're the dc chapter and we have no cold water fishing right and look at how can we help fix some of the problems with rock creek how can we help restore some of the tributaries of the anacostia river um are there some of those tributaries that might actually be cold enough and removed enough from you know your urban runoff and the warm water coming off asphalt to actually have a sustainable trout population i don't know we haven't identified a body of water like that yet that's like uh, i mean rock creek originally was a brook trout stream yeah difficult run not far from here that was a trout stream mm-hmm. up until the 70s yeah it'd be pretty cool if you guys could find a spot yeah and stock it absolutely so and that's that's another thing you know that one of the one of the things that I've talked to a lot of different people about, and I've kind of whether it was out in Montana this summer for guide school. Or, yeah, let's talk about that. After yeah, this. absolutely. And or you know, last year I was in Wyoming, or you know when I've gone up to go steelhead fishing in Michigan. You know, I always talk to people about what do they think about TU, and what I, when they think of trout unlimited what comes to mind and the number one complaint i always hear from people about tu chapters is their stocking practices and whether it's you know stocking you know rainbows over a wild you know population that's already there of rainbows and browns or a you know worst case scenario over native brookies you know one of the things I'm hoping to do as we go forward is sort of try and move at least our chapter and hopefully 
steer the conversation to chapters around the country away from just stocking, stocking, stocking with, you know, rainbow trout and looking towards how can we sustain wild populations of trout in the waters that we have and let those, those populations either, if they're reproducing, absolutely, we don't want to stock there. And if they're wild, how do we stock? So we're not just stocking adult grown, you know, trout, let's stock at least fingerlings. Let's make sure these, these trout are as close to the real thing, quote unquote, as you can get as a wild trout can be. So, you know, it was fun. It was interesting to mention stocking is if we can identify a body of water that's within our sort of region, even if it's in the mid Atlantic where we can build a riparian buffer, we can add, you know, tree cover, you know, a way to basically cool the water, filtrate, you know, filter the water, make sure that, you know, the water's clean and cold enough for trout. Then once you've created the habitat, how can you have a reasonably manageable stocking, you know, sort of protocol in place that you're not just creating just another put and take fishery, you know, one that comes to my mind is sort of the North Northwest uh, branch or whatever that is up by College Park, mm-hmm. and they stock that every spring, you know. And those fish, like Akatink is right down yeah. the street from here. Yeah, so places you get a like holdovers, that. but yeah, yeah it's absolutely poachers get them exactly. And so the question is, to me, is how do you create a stocking program that's I hate the word sustainable because it's a buzzword, but I mean. You know, how do you create a sustainable stocking program where you're actually creating a population of wild fish rather than just, you know, a 12-inch rainbow that's got no color, he looks sick. With his pectoral fins all rubbed off. Exactly. And, you know, he's going to be in that water for two weeks at most before somebody yanks him out and he's gone. So that's definitely something I'm interested in. Uh, Trent Jones put me on a book, um, An Entirely Synthetic Fish, which I'm slowly working my Anders Halverson? I think that's right, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm about halfway through. And my father-in-law, he'd rather go out in Colorado and catch rainbows, three rainbows a day in a reservoir that are just genetic morons. Mm-hmm. They taste like, I'm assuming they taste like crap. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, he's got wild brook trout streams in his backyard. Yeah. And they're unlimited. They want you to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And he'd rather go fish for nasty stockies yeah. than eat like wild trout. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, Hal Rains, not Hal Rains, that was uh, Fishing Me Life Crisis. That's the book about Rock Creek that breaks it down. Okay. Um, I'll have to check Anders Halverson, yeah, he talks about just how these hatchery fish are just mm-hmm. complete, just morons. They're mm-hmm. derps. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's sort of interesting the way he analyzes it from a lot of different angles, which is he analyzes, obviously, the environmental aspect of it, you know, the the sort of animal aspect, you know, in terms of what actually happened to the species that were already there, but then also analyze the human side of it, you know, the politics that were behind everything with the trout stocking programs. I mean, a friend of mine who lives up in south central Pennsylvania that I fish with pretty frequently, I mean, they stock the crap out of those All rivers. those polyminos. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I feel bad for those fish. It's like you might as well put a, you know, a bullseye on the back of What is that? Of it's head. the... Uh opening day when it's oh yeah shoulder to shoulder yeah and you know i mean but there's a reason that they do it is you know there's a there's a 
a political reason behind it, which is, you know, that it is a very popular thing that a guy can go out and know he's going to catch a stringer of fish, and he's right. going to take them out, and he's going to go home. And the license yeah. money, the gas money, exactly. the lunch money, yeah. all the gear puts into the economy. Yeah, and so what it what it does is it what I like about the book so far, and I haven't finished it yet, is kind of the way it makes me analyze it from different angles, and what it becomes clear is it's more complicated than just all stalkers are evil, anyone who's involved in stocking is evil, you know, that this is, you know, a blight on the fishing community, that... It can be done right. I mean, if you think about it at this point, I mean, really, what is left of native fish in America? I mean, you have brook trout on the East Coast, I mean, that are... Barely surviving. Barely hanging on in a lot of places. Yeah, they're like parasites in the West. Yep, and they're everywhere. You know, and versus out West, you know, the cutthroat trout have been, you know, sort of have been struggling and you've got browns and rainbows and brook trout that are just, you know, basically completely taken over. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting to learn about the practices that were in play in the early 20th century and kind of how things have developed ever since. Mm -hmm. So, um, but in terms of what we as a TU chapter want to accomplish or, you know, what my goals are for TU on a maybe possibly larger scale is changing the conversation around trout stocking practices and moving away from, you know, the classic TU issue of guys want to go out and know they're going to catch fish and know that they can go, you know, it's that the quintessential TU member is to me also the sort of the quintessential Orvis customer in a lot of people's minds is the guy with, you know, the bamboo rod who only casts dries or wet flies, you know, and he goes, but he goes for stocked fish and his TU chapter stocks fish and he goes to his outing and catches fish. I'll see people on these local stock Mm -hmm. streams that are ankle deep in spots, chest waders, a vest, a hat, polarized glasses, a net, yeah, full staff, a bamboo rod. But I mean, you know, that's one of the things I'm hoping to kind of do with this chapter is kind of get the word out that the way that TU chapters are some TU chapters, because I don't want to denigrate every TU chapter in the country. A lot of TU chapters do a lot of great work. But sort of when people think of the cliche TU chapter or the TU member is, say, we're moving in a different direction and times are changing and you don't have to, you don't have to not get involved because you think that, well, it's been this way and it's always going to be this way is if we as a chapter can show we can do it. And if some of the other chapters that have some young guys coming in and sort of shaking things up show that we can change fundamental things about the way a chapter works, then hopefully we can start, kind of drawing in, you know, the younger generations, you know, the millennials, which is a term I hate, but, you know. Yeah, that's a great thing about TPFR is Mm -hmm. it's sort of the antithesis of when I used to hang out at the TU. I just don't have time to go. I need to get more involved in my chapter, but it was Mm -hmm. just old dudes drinking cheap beer, watching slideshows of someone's trip. And you go to TPFR and it's 20-somethings. There are kids there and... Grant, you know, we got Grandpa Shad, and we got like my neighbor Brennan's kids mm-hmm. show up, and it's a huge dichotomy of ages yep. and you know, kids that live in apartments in the city mm-hmm. that don't have cars but want to fish locally. Yep, 
Absolutely. It seems like you're bringing that kind of fresh blood in that's, itself. Yeah, that's absolutely the goal is, you know, I'm not a conventional fly fisherman. I, you know, I, I didn't grow up, you know, first starting with, you know, poppers for bluegill and then worked my way up to bass fishing and then, you know, was on conventional tackle right. and then switched to fly fishing. I actually started off, I mean, outside of, you know, the odd trip at the beach or, you know, surf casting. Unadulterated. Yeah, I, I actually went straight into fly fishing. And for the first two, three years, I really had no clue what I was doing. And I knew I wanted to do it. I liked being outside. I like fishing. I like fly. I love fly fishing. Remick's like your crack dealer. Yes. He was the one who got me hooked. You know, it's, you know, I've been chasing the dragon ever since. So, um, but you know, one of the things I'm hoping to accomplish as a, as a TU chapter is to be a play is to be an organization and a place where people who they know they want to get into fly fishing, but they don't necessarily know where to start that we can sort of serve as the conduit to, give them enough of an introduction, you know. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, Log on to MidwayUSA.com. Orvis 101s and 201s and 301s, they obviously help a lot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if we can take them on outings where they can be exposed to different kinds of experiences fishing and they're going to be with people who know what they're doing and they can learn and pick up tips, every fly fisherman I create, you know, or not I create, but that my chapter creates, that we create is another conservationist. You know, another person who's going to care about the local body of water, who's going to send in a letter, you know, to their congressman or senator advocating for, you know, a particular position, you know, or protecting public lands, you know, whatever it is. Do you guys, so, being that we're here mm-hmm. near the Capitol, do you have lobbyists in your group? That no, you no. Are you guys going to do any? No, we're, so as a chapter, my goal is to remain completely apolitical okay that is not our role we are not going to ever advocate for a particular individual you know a particular party we're just a we're a fly fishing organization that's focused on conservation and we're going to support tu national right does it help being that you're so close to headquarters oh absolutely yeah i mean you know I was just at TU headquarters last week, you know, for, yeah, that's why I gave for the Sweetwater glass. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the Sweetwater happy hour. And we missed it. Yeah, it looked like yeah. some shenanigans. It was. Yeah. Richie had a sign that said trash on him. Oh yeah. That was, uh, <laughs> that was Trent's side. No, they, that was the recycling and trash bins and he just took the signs <laughs> off. You know, there was some, a little bit of district angling and Orvis, you know, sort of rubbing you know each other kind of that shop i cannot wait for them to open up. yeah i'm excited i'm excited to see you know i'm excited to have an independent fly shop in the city Uh, you know i mean i've i went to two in nashville last week Mm -hmm. and it was awesome oh nice within like five miles of each other and they were complete they were completely i can't tell you how different they were Mm -hmm. i'm i'm guessing that's kind of like um 
So you have, what are the two fly shops down in Charlottesville? You have um, Albemarle Angler, which is the upscale one, right? right? And then there's a second one. I'm trying to remember what it's called. That's a little more... Um, I don't know the other one. I know there's there's the Orvis store where yeah. I found my North Face fleece outside of last fall. Oh, okay. Brand new, like some frat dude must have dropped the drop yeah. at night. Hmm. Yeah. You know, you open up the pocket, see if there's a wallet in there. Yeah. I was like, oh, there's a fleece. Let me see if there's a $20 bill in there. I flip it over and it's a brand new North Face. Huh. Like, That's mine. Yeah. Well. Charlottesville's got, they're in a good spot for fishing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I'm I'm headed up there this weekend. Um, my girlfriend and I going up for Labor Day, so we'll we'll probably try and do some some fishing. I think it's I'm not sure the water temperatures are going to be low enough for brook trout fishing. Well, we got Harvey so. coming through. Oh yeah, that's you true. might get like three to four inches. Yeah, I guess I'll have to keep an eye out on the weather. Yeah. So. Uh, I might have to put in a an order mm. of Bodo's bagels, mm. some spud nuts. Okay, so much good food in Charlottesville. Yeah. Yeah, spud nuts. They're, they're uh, potato donuts. Oh, okay. So good. Yep. All right, so I have four. Yep. That's going to be your big fundraiser for, is it the VA or for uh, Walter Reed? So it's the DC VA Hospital. It's, our, it's a brand new Project Healing Waters chapter sponsored by our chapter of um, NCCTU. And it's ran by one of our board members, Dan Sheasley, who's done a really, really good job so far. Um, they're about a month, month and a half into the program and they've got, I think about 15 to 20 really consistent, um, participants from the VA hospital. Um, a lot of whom, you know, have various, you know, wounds or disabilities that, you know, they suffered over in Iraq or Afghanistan or, you know, other you know, sort of theaters around the world. That's, that's just the external stuff that you mm-hmm. see, too. Yeah, the Internal exactly. stuff is way worse. Yeah, and so, you know, that's... So our IF4 show that we're going to be hosting... So us, what is IF4? So IF4 is the International Fly Fishing Film Festival. It's sort of the counterpart to FT3, the Fly Fishing Film Tour. So similar kind of layout. It's, you know, a series of short films that are feature-length films, typically, but... It's basically just like a director's cut of, you know, 10 to 15 minutes per film. And it's about an hour and a half, hour 45 minutes long of about eight different films. And, and you're doing at the historic Avalon. At the Avalon Theater, which is, uh, yeah, we were... It's been ex- around for a long time. Very long time. And we're really excited, you know, to partner with them, you know, as a, a nonprofit theater, the only one in the city. And, um, you know, it's a really cool venue. Um it's big space, you know, there's 420 seats in that theater. Um, there's, uh, you know, and it's in a good location. It's, you know, relatively metro accessible. There's a lot of parking available in the area. So it should be a good night. And, um, you know, we're excited to sort of partner up with IF4, the, the bird marketing group. They also produce Fly Fusion magazine, and um, now they're producing the magazine for uh, – well, what used to be IFFF, now FFI, the Fly Fishing, Fly Fishers Magazine, whatever it's called now. It keeps changing um, names. But, yes, yeah, so they're, you know, it's a good organization to get in, you know, to, to get connected with. And, you know, they're very passionate about what they do. So, and the benefits of the movie, that's going to go, 50% of it we're going to put into our Healing Waters chapter and, you know, kind of, 
give them a, a leg up, you know, as they move forward. Because the one nice thing about a healing waters chapter around the country is that once you start one, healing waters national is a very, yep, a very well oiled machine, and um, they sort of have the whole startup process laid out for you. You know, they get you the equipment, they get you all the training, the things that your volunteers need to know. But we're hoping that by being able to give them, you know, an extra thousand or two or three thousand dollars, depending on how the show goes, um, you know, some extra cash, that that'll help really jumpstart them, help them afford to take their, you know, the, their participants out on a nice outing to some private water, you know, to sort of show them the ropes and actually get them on fish rather than just, you know, and. I'm not trying to say that teaching them fly tying and fly casting and it's putting you know, it to building. use exactly is letting them actually practice it right you know, or put what, it into practice what they've learned in the OT clinic mm-hmm. and then actually like using it exactly go catch a fish on the fly yep. you tied mm-hmm. so and, how can we want to get tickets and if it's sold out can people still maybe donate money to yes. TCTU absolutely so. Um, I, we are about 50% of the way to selling out the show so far. Um, and so tickets are going to be available up until the day of. And if tickets remain available on the day of the film, you can actually buy them at the at the theater. You can come at 7.45 that night and buy tickets until there's none remaining. And we will be hosting our fall fundraising drive. We've been doing it, you know, for 40 years. And, you know, it's a mailing campaign, you know, at, you know, go out and, you know, try and raise funds for the chapter. So you can absolutely de- uh, donate to the chapter. We have, you know, a page set up on the website to do so. So, um, and What's it's, that page again? It's ncc-tu.org. There we go. And uh, so the film festival is going to be at the Avalon on September 26th. Doors open at 8 p.m. and uh, the show starts at 8:30. So, yeah, so that's that's IF4, which we're really excited about. It's the first time it's ever been in DC. Yeah, it's so, never never come through here. Nope. And uh, you know, I mean, obviously, District Angling and Richie, he does a great job putting F3T on every spring, and so. We're going to do ours in the fall so that, you know, you kind of have six months in between them and, you know, kind of get your chance to go to both and see every, pretty much every fly fishing documentary slash film that, you know, you could possibly see, you know. It's torture. Oh, oh, yeah. Seeing all these exotic places. Yeah. You know, I've, I've gotten a sneak peek and, you know, I've, I've. I've liked some of the films I've watched. You know, there's some really, they're going on some really cool trips and getting after some pretty cool fish. So, you know, it's, uh, I think it'll be a really good night for sure. And it's in, uh, was Wisconsin Avenue? Uh, it's on Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. Just South of Chevy Chase Circle. Okay. Yep. I saw movies there when I was a kid with my parents. I saw, Yeah. It's old. I mean, that, that mm-hmm. movie, the theater's been there since, like, what, the 20s or 30s? Yeah, I think it's almost 100 years old now. Yeah. I mean, so. you're a local person. That's yep. Yeah, I grew up in Bethesda, so. It's weird, another local person. Yeah. The chances of two local people. Yeah, no, we're we're uh, we're pretty rare around here, you yeah. know. It's it's a relatively transient city, for sure. So, and that's, that's another thing as a TU chapter, you know, that we're kind of focused on is, 
a lot of people who come here, they don't necessarily stay here, whether they, you know, come here to work on the Hill or they come here for grad school or college or, you know, for five years to sort of work in a professional, you know, whatever their profession is and then move on somewhere else. A lot of people who move here, you know, you've been on the TPFR forums, you know, I mean, those posts. We're stuck here because the wife, sorry, you didn't get a meter. She just went to go do some kind of crazy workout. No, no worries. But, you know, I mean, you've seen the the posts on TPFR. People come and go. Yeah, I'm new to the area. I don't know where the fish are. You know, I've been fishing my whole life. And one of the things I'm hoping NCCTU can do in conjunction with TPFR is kind of provide that community mm-hmm. that fly fishing in this in the DC area can kind of coalesce around and people can you know sort of meet each other, build up a community, go out fishing together, show each other the ropes. Oh, I know this, you know I know this really good stream in Pennsylvania. We'll say Yellow Breaches, and he, one guy knows where some good holes are, and the other guy happens to know Mossy Creek well, so he you know shows him some good water and you know, kind of build it out from there, you know, and so that's, you know, one, it can be a disadvantage because, you know, some TU chapters, they're, you know, the people who live in that area, their parents grew up there and their grandparents grew up there and their kids are going to grow up there and they're probably never going to leave. You know, D.C., it's a much, there's a lot of turnover. And so when I have clients, it's, I ask them, you either came here for, Grad school, a job, or a relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those three every time. Yep. I rarely have somebody that's from here. Yeah. And most of the time, it's they, they want to learn new water. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, tomorrow's client's already canceled. Oh, that's both a bummer and I guess nice that you get to sleep in. So. No, my wife actually has a day off, so she's going to take our kid to school. There you I go. can sleep in, so I can have another one of these. There you go. Yeah, and then we're going to Bowling Air Force Base for a Air Force party. Oh, well, that'll be a good time. Yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's, you know, one of the things, nice things about being a TU chapter in a major city is you do get fresh faces. Yeah, it's a revolving door, door exactly. here. Yeah, and, I mean, some, you know, a lot of people do end up staying in D.C., and, you know, we're obviously hoping that, you know, I'm not hoping that a person who just moved here that we kind of bring into the chapter and bring into the fold and, you know, get involved that they're going to then leave, you know, but, you know, it's sort of... do leave, hopefully they take what you influence them on how to mm-hmm. run the chapter, and when they go to join their new chapter, they'll be like, hey, I was back in D.C., and mm-hmm. we, you know, I got some ideas. We did yep. a little differently. Yeah, and so that's... You spread like a, a good virus. Yeah, that would be, that would be great is, you know, if we can sort of help spread the message of what we're trying to do or help spread some of the techniques or some of the... The things that we're doing here in D.C. that are successful. Because, again, I'm brand new. You know, I'm not going to pretend like this is a smashing success already, you know, that everything I've tried has worked. It's it's going to be some trial and error over the next, you know, few years of, mm-hmm. you know, some things are definitely going to work and some things are definitely not. And yeah, you'll learn. You know, and exactly. And what works will keep going. Yeah, and so, you know, one of the things there's – a couple other guys like me who are, you know, on the younger side for your average TU member or TU chapter president that I've been talking to. You know, I got one down in Tennessee. Another guy I've been talking to is out in Colorado who's running a TU chapter. And we're kind of bouncing ideas nice. off of each other of, you know, what are you doing out there? What are you doing down in Tennessee? What are you doing in Colorado? You know, 
how are you getting, you know, other young guys in the door? How are you getting other young girls in the door? You know, getting, you know, while maintaining your positive relationships with your, what has been the core of TU for so long, which is, you know, your, your baby boomers and the silent generation, you know, the people who have been with TU since 1957 or, you know, into the 70s when TU kind of proliferated and, and grew. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, uh, you know, it's been good in terms of we want to spread some of the best practices that we sort of learn over the next few years and help share them with other chapters. Because one of the things that, you know, I went to our regional meeting, the Northeast one, up in uh, New Jersey this year, and I was the youngest guy there by about 20 years or 30 years. And one of the things that's clear is if TU is going to kind of maintain its mission, it's great to have national campaigns, you know, stopping Pebble Mine, helping, you know, get rid of some of these, um, you know, now defunct dams out west that are blocking, you know, migratory mount, you know, migratory routes for, you know, um, you know, for steelhead and salmon and, you know, other migratory fish. Um, is but that's great on a national scale but tu national can't go and protect big hunting creek or the north branch of the potomac or you know the tpfr we're not supposed to mention big hunting creek oh really i didn't know that that was maybe before you came along oh okay i got in trouble for mentioning that okay but on the forum once oh really oh yeah i was hot spotting oh well yeah you don't want to do that so i stream that's been stocked with trout for 50 years that everyone knows about yeah everybody knows big hunting creek so that's where i learned a trout fish mm -hmm. and like you said about stocking earlier the brown trout have not been stocked in there since early 70s or late 60s maybe but i mean that shows you sort of the importance of proper stocking you know practices is in the 70s did people know that brown trout head upstream i don't know i actually have no idea but i mean one of the big issues with all of our brook trout, you know, habitat across the East Coast is if you put browns in at the bottom, they're going to head up yeah. river. Now, if you catch a stock brook trout in big hunting, it's going to be white and, like, albinic looking. Yeah. If you catch one in the headwaters in all the streams up there, it's going to look like what you think of as the most beautiful brook trout you yeah. can imagine. Yeah. You so should not stock ugly nasty fish in there mm -hmm. let the browns just reproduce yeah i mean you know it's it's big hunting creek is it's i'm not going to claim to be an expert i know some of the issues you know obviously having a major road directly next to it has had some pretty negative impacts you know both in terms of water temperature but also erosion um and then you combine that with you know there's been you know some you know, different stocking practices over the years. And, you know, it's, but yeah, I mean, I would agree that you'd be best off trying to maintain a wild population of fish. Mm -hmm. And if you get to a point where a fish population is self-sustained, which I don't really know enough about big hunting Creek to really say, but you know, cause, and also I'm sure given that it's an hour from DC and just North of Frederick, the fishing pressure on that stream is a lot higher than yeah. you're going to have in other parts of the state or other parts of the area. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a proponent of limited stocking 
and you know smart quote unquote stocking you know practices as an angler I would much rather have a wildly educated fish mm-hmm. than one that's going to go after a nymph because it's shiny and mm-hmm. it's just curious because it's stupid. Absolutely. I would much rather catch a fish for the challenge of it than yeah. throwing out a brown egg fly mm-hmm. and think thinks it's a pellet. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, another thing, you know, so is I want to, I want a fish that puts a little bend in my rod, yeah. you know, I mean. Uh, when we wild were wild fish that's been in the river, exactly. fight a current, not something that's been swimming around in a pen. Yep. And that's basically just going to acquiesce as soon yeah. as a hook is in its lip. So, you know, when we were out fishing the North Branch on Sunday, Trent uh, hooked up with a wild rainbow, it was about 16 inches, and it was a nice fish. And it, you know, it put a nice, you know, solid 60 degree, 70 degree bend in that rod, you know. Um, actually, I guess it's more than that. But I mean, a very nice bend in that rod. Five casts later, he hooks up with a stock rainbow. It's just like the thing, thing comes to hand, you know, no fight at all, you know. And so, um, I don't know when that fish was stocked, but um, you know, I'm absolutely a proponent of sensible, quote unquote, sustainable you know stocking practices don't just dump you know tons of fish in a, in a river and that are just going to eat up mm-hmm. all the natural if you put a whole bunch of fish in there and they th- finally figure out what to eat they're going to deplete all the macroinvertebrates mm-hmm. all the minnows exactly you're going to disrupt the natural balance of yep. that stream like if i were to yeah. throw you know a brook trout into my aquarium it would mm-hmm. eat my shrimp, my other fish, my scuds, my stoneflies. Yeah. It would decimate everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It, I think um, synthetic trout book mentions what happens to a stream. I don't have. I don't want to spoil. I haven't it gotten that far yet. I'm still like they have been basically walking me through the history of trout stocking practices in the U.S. from like 19. 19- 69 or sorry 1869 airplane dumps no wait i haven't even gotten that far yet oops so i mean i'm i'm familiar with them so i went i went on a a trip in the mountains of wyoming last year and up in those high mountain lakes yeah in the alpine lakes and so i saw you know i mean i i was my girlfriend who i met on that trip um she had never fly fished before she was catching, you know, 18-inch brook trout. Did she already um, live here? No, no. She moved she, out here for you? Yes, yeah. So she moved down here. She she moved down here about a month about ago. How about that? Wow. Yeah. yeah. How about that? Yeah. So, but we met uh, on a backpacking trip in Wyoming. That's pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I've read about, you know, I read a book. It was uh, fly fishing, you know, the Wind River Range. Yeah. And it was about, you know. A guy who'd actually packed, you know, the trout, big, in there. The, the trout into these and uh-huh. talking about, you know, the planes dropping boxes full of brook trout into these, you know, into these high and mountain lakes. lakes. And, you know, it was cool. You know, the nice thing about it is I was catching 18 to 20 inch brook trout. I've never seen a brook trout that big in my life. Were they in their colors? Yeah. And they were, you know, That's dark nuts. blue with the bright, no you know, red and yellow white spots and their fins, you know, that beautiful white stripe down yeah. the front. 
and you know, which was cool, but they don't totally belong artificial. there. Yeah. yeah, they don't belong there. And so every single one we caught, you know, as long as it was legal, you know, we kept. And uh, you know, what when you're backpacking up there, you know, on the head, yeah, and you're that's, gonna that's fried for dinner. You need, you know, you want some dense protein. You're gonna eat every fish you get your hands on, but. You know, so I'm I'm like to 1910 in terms of the book, okay. in terms of uh, entirely synthetic fish. Right so. around when a river runs through it, almost takes place. Yeah, exactly. So, which is a book I've never read. I've seen the movie, never read the book. You need to borrow it? Uh, I might have to. Yeah. All right, we can go down to the library yeah. later. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I mean, in terms of stocking practices, you know, I want to, you know, I. I understand why it exists, but I want to at least not have TU, my TU chapter contribute to the problem to be part like of the solution. That. I think that should be the new norm. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I would agree. You know, I can't tell another TU chapter how to operate and they're going to do what they're going to do. But, you know, what I can control and what my what we as a chapter can control, we're going to we're going to focus on, you know. Well, hopefully there's some TU presidents and other people listening and say, you know what, that sounds, it's a novel idea. Let's adopt that. Well, you know, I mean, I don't, it's not like I'm a, a revolutionary or, you know, some, or a visionary. I mean, this is, I think, a conversation that's becoming more and more the norm across not just TU, but, you know, whether it's DNRs or, you know, game and wildlife, you know, commissions and stuff. I think people are, you know, we as a, as a, as a country, we as you know, we as people are starting to understand like, better it's, what the effects are of stocking practices. We're getting we're getting smarter. About it's it. not we're a good idea to stock blue catfish in the Potomac in '75. No, we're learning was, now that was a huge mistake. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I've seen uh, what's his name, Chris, Chris Campo. Chris Campo catching these. Yeah, oh he, he catches some big fish. You Chris know? Campo for you. If you want to follow him on Instagram, C-H-R-I-S-C-A-M-P-O. Yeah, fishing. Chris he needs Campo to be fishing. killing all of us. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I'll I, give him a baseball bat. It was funny. I was talking to a guy uh, who works with Cheeky Fishing, who they uh, Chris Campo, I think, is on their pro staff or something. I'm not sure exactly how he's connected um, I but put they on Instagram were, today because yeah. I, I mocked some of the. Mm-hmm. I'm a, I put on. I'm the pro staff of Velveeta. Okay. Today, because I didn't know Velveeta, I should be on their pro staff. Yeah. I mean, I love Velveeta. My girlfriend's a Kraft mac and cheese person. Oh, but, she's know. a keeper. Oh, is Backpacking she? Oh, I think, that eats Kraft. Oh, I cheese. think Kraft mac and cheese is just. It tastes like plastic to me, but you know, I'm. I, some people swear by it. I'm a Velveeta guy. Do you have a crock pot? I don't have a crock pot. Oh. Oh, man. I'd say the, the thrift store up the street had 20 of them the other, yesterday. Yeah. I'll send you a recipe for crock pot mac and cheese with mm. Velveeta. Okay. That's what I'm having for dinner tonight, yeah. leftovers. That sounds good. Oh, I uh, so good. I am I am the world's worst cook, so I... You can I, make this. Okay. The noodles cook in whole milk and condensed evaporated milk. Okay. So you're actually getting, like, all this protein and vitamins in it, mm-hmm. and then it just sits in Velveeta all day cooking. It's nuts. That sounds good. So, you got to keep her, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. She's she's the bomb. No question about it. So she likes to fish. I'm uh, gonna start teaching her how to row uh, <laughs> this fall, which she's excited about. Um, she's, Does she know? 
What well, that means? Oh yeah, she uh, she's she's more outdoorsy than I am. To be so honest. she's gonna row and you get a fish. Yeah, and then we'll we'll switch places, you know. So I actually taught her to fly fish last summer when we were up in Wyoming, kind of bonded over that at first. And Any golden trout up there? You know, there are golden trout in the Wind River Range. I never saw one. Uh, I caught that was uh, that was probably the most prolific fishing trip of my life. I caught, you know, those fish are. They are they are not uh, not challenging. Is you know. So the weekend I met my wife, I got a job offer to move all expenses paid to Wyoming. Oh really? What part of Wyoming? Jackson Hole. Oh okay. That's the that's the bougie part of Wyoming. Why we didn't move out together? She was in grad school. Oh okay. You look back now, like seventeen years later. Yeah. Damn, that was a bad idea. Yeah, Jackson Jackson Hole. I've only been once. Um, I was like six years old, but I know that that's the that's the nice part. I I went to Casper and then Lander, Wyoming, which okay. is where Knowles is uh, headquartered. Um, and Knowles is or Lander's a really cool town. You know, the uh, Wind River actually runs like right by it, which is pretty neat. Um, I didn't get to fish Wind River itself. I fished the high mountain lakes and I fished some of the uh, some of those sort of small tributaries that run down the mountains, you know, out of those. Um, Were those fish particular? I mean, there's not much food up there. No, so their their feeding season is so short. Um, You know, it was basically, in daytime, it was all subsurface, so I was fishing copper johns and beadhead beadhead, um, hare's ears and uh, pheasant tails. And then in the evenings i don't even know what this fly is called it was like a local special that i got at the the that i got at the fly shop in lander and it was a terrestrial mix it was like it had the top of a parachute atoms coming out the body of a beetle and then rubber legs coming off the sides and i mean it was almost every cast i mean it was the brook trout up there were so aggressive because they only have about right. six to eight weeks a year to really feed heavily, and there's not a whole lot of food in those high mountain lakes. So it was competition. You don't need. Yeah, you don't need exactly. So it was that was a very cool trip. Um, you know, I was really lucky to get to go on something like that, and uh, you know, obviously met you know met my girlfriend on the trip it was you know it was a good time and but yeah i mean i caught caught a lot of different species up there brook trout uh caught a couple cutthroats and then i caught a couple of tiger trouts which was pretty interesting got a couple rainbows no brown trout i think i was just too far up the mountain it was too cold um and i don't think they stock browns that far up so but yeah i mean it it was pretty neat fishing up there so but yeah, so uh, you want to talk about guide school? I want to hear about guide school. So you went yeah. out there, yeah, just to get knowledge and experience. Yeah, so I went out to um, Conwood Camp on the Bighorn River with uh, Sweetwater Guide School, and um, why did you choose them? So the two ones I always hear about are Sweetwater, and then um, oh shoot, what is the other one called? Uh, Hubbard's. Hubbard's Guide School. Those are the two ones I've always heard about, you know, from people. And uh, a buddy of mine who used to live here in D.C., who I go steelhead fishing with at least 
you know, once a year lives in Michigan now. His buddy went to Sweetwater Guide School last summer and also like me didn't necessarily want to be a, a guide, but just wanted to kind of go out there, learn how to row a boat, you know, learn the skills you need to know to take your buddies out who don't necessarily fish, you know, get them on, you know, some decent fishing, you know, pick up some skills. And, um, so he had a great time. So his endorsement, you know, I trust my buddy a lot, Trent, uh, to kind of, you know, not lead me astray. So I, I signed up with uh, Sweetwater Guide School back in the winter and, um, yeah, headed out there the first week of July, and uh, it was it was a lot. It was a lot of fun. You know, we stayed in this old mobile home that they call uh, is it the chateau or the motel? They call it the motel, and it's you know it's nine guys. You know, between the ages, we the youngest guy we had was sixteen. The oldest guy we had was I think probably in his early his early fifties, late forties. Um, you know, it was kind of a whole mix. We had, uh, all over the country. Yeah. Guys coming. I came from the furthest from DC, but we had one guy from Seattle. We had a guy come from Boulder. Another guy came from, uh, oh God, what's the other major town? What's another major town in, uh, something junction, um, Grand Junction Junction in Colorado. Still haven't made it out that far. Yeah. And, uh. You know, one actually, the, I take that back. I wasn't the furthest. Our furthest guy is a former Marine uh, who's a redfish, who's now going to be a redfish guide down in, um, not in Charleston, but in uh, Beaufort, South Carolina, in that area. He was the furthest. And, but we had guys from all over, all different ages, kind of all different goals of what they wanted to accomplish. Uh, we had a bunch of veterans who all were trying to get involved with Project Healing Waters, and this was kind of a way for them to pick up good skills so that they could go back and get involved in their programs where they were from. Um, by my time in the summer, like by you know July, a lot of shops and outfitters and lodges aren't really hiring anymore for this season. So it's not like the guide schools in the spring where they get a lot of guys who are coming there. They go in March. They, you know, it's, you know, cold as hell. I can imagine. Uh, it's, you know, it's freezing. Before yeah, runoff season. Exactly. Before runoff season, it's freezing cold. And they fish the Yellowstone River in the spring and the fall. And we fish the Bighorn in the summer because I think the flows on the Yellowstone just aren't dependable enough in the summer. Um, you got to do the reservoir for trout. I I'm did, sorry, for, 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 carp. for carp. Yes, I did. And that was... That? The, they, that just, was they just go straight down? That was one of the coolest, uh, that was probably, interestingly enough, that was probably my favorite day out there, which is, I never thought I would say carp fishing, you know, in From Montana. a drift boat with, like, little dry flies. So it was actually a jet boat, which was cool. So that was a lot of fun, was we went down to the lower end of the Bighorn, and Ron, who runs the school, Ron Meek, who's, like, a legend, you know, in, in that world, um... He taught us how to run jet boats, and he's ran jet boats in Mongolia, Alaska, Kamchatka, or Kamchatka. Yeah. Um, you know, he's kind of been all over the planet, and you know, getting to learn how to run a jet boat from a guy like you know a Jedi like that was pretty cool. And but yeah, we went out on that reservoir, and um, 
you know what do they what do they call them call carp you know bonefish for for poor, poor people man's, the poor man's bonefish or whatever uh oh it was that was I'd rather catch a carp any day than most species yeah but boy was that a lot of fun and you know so my the way it worked at guide school was you know you get set up the first four days I fished with the same other two students and they were both ex marines and. They both just loved just kind of giving me the business, you know, which I was fine with. A lot of ball busting. Yeah, a lot of ball busting. They were great guys, and I had a lot of fun. But you still keep in touch with them? I do, yeah. So one of them's guiding on the San Juan out in nice. New Mexico yeah. right now, and then the other one's the one guiding down for Redfish and nice. Buford. So I've, you know, I still talk to them on Facebook, and, you yeah. know, they're constantly giving me you know <laughs> giving me grief but uh you know that day we went out on the reservoir for carp you know we're you know the cool thing you learn is i mean with a jet engine versus a prop is you're on plane in about you know two seconds and you know so it's cool to just run out in this huge open space it's like the grand canyon you know cliff faces 500 yeah. feet high wow. and um you know, you're, you know, you're sight casting, you know, you see this big brown log floating through the water and you figure out where's he headed and then you're just casting, you know, three feet in front of him. You know, we were casting big, you know, terrestrials, you know, and they come up and, you know, I kind of took a back seat that day and let, you know, the two of them kind of, they were really pumped about going for carp. And so I kind of let them, you know, kind of have at it for a while and, um, my one buddy, Wes, who's the one guiding down in New Mexico now, he, um, he was having trouble sending the hook on the carp because he's used to, he does a lot of like fishing for tiger muskies, northern pike and, you know, trout. And he's used to, the thing hits it, you set the hook. Right. They set it themselves. Exactly. And he, you know, it was, the carp come up and they inspect it, they bump it with their nose, and then they finally take they it. They rubber lips on it. So what ended up happening uh, was... Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. We said, okay, well, first we told him, count to two. Wait till it swallows it, count to two. He didn't want to do that. So instead what he did is die, mother die mother die <laughs> and so he did that and he took it and he went die 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 yeah. you know die mother and swallows it it was the biggest carp of the day i mean it was probably you know seven eight ten pounds something nice. like a big big carp and um yeah it took it and i mean he fought it for a good five ten minutes how deep did, i mean you're in a reservoir it's yeah like it goes about lateral, it goes about 300 some feet deep so there are there's actually sturgeon, big big sturgeon in that reservoir. Really? Yeah. That um, and we actually one of the crazy things about the bighorn that's sort of reminiscent of fishing the Potomac around DC is that you just don't know what you're gonna catch. Like so, we went when we our first night there at guide school, we went out to the Bighorn River and you know you, you walk from Conwood Camp. It's like a quarter mile through this 
field, you know, this field of, you know, high grass. And you get there, and we had a guy catch walleye. We had a guy catch a sturgeon. A My, sturgeon on the fly. A sturgeon on the fly. And I don't know if I've heard so, of that yet. So where the way it worked was, so the dam, because there's so much snow runoff this year, you know, the snowpack right. is it so a, huge yeah. that, I mean, normally you'd fish the bighorn in early July at 2,500 CFS. It was at 11,000. We fished almost entirely from the boat because there was so much water, but they had to open the floodgates. So there's water coming up over the top. And that hydraulic just kind of pulls all the fish off the bottom. So you had walleye that normally live in that reservoir. We're getting pushed up and over. Same with the sturgeon. We're what actually does the sturgeon getting, eat? I actually don't know. Some kind of streamer. I don't think I've ever heard of a sturgeon on the fly before. And he caught one. It wasn't big. It wasn't a big sturgeon. But, yeah, he caught a sturgeon on the fly. That's nuts. Yeah. So, yeah, it was it was interesting. Um my first shad, or sorry, my first fish on the Bighorn River was a shad. It was, it's called a golden eye. It looks like an Amer- it looks like an American shad. You know, it's all silver, chromed out, yeah. and then, but it has this giant yellow eye. That was my first That's fish. So weird. Yeah, I well, and I, I had a thought, you know, for a moment. I was like, I came all this way, <laughs> and all I'm gonna catch is these stupid shad, you know. And, it was, funny. yeah, you know, at first I thought it was a whitefish, and we did catch whitefish, you know, while we were out there, along with, you know, browns and rainbows, but, you know, it was, I pulled this fish out, and it's like a 20-inch shad, you know, and it's like, what is this, you know, what nonsense is this, you know, so, it was, it was good, though, you know, I got on some good fish, caught yeah. some browns, and, you know, I was streamer fishing mostly, so. What were some of the best takeaways you got from? From guys' school, uh, the best... The best takeaway I got is that I had to become a better nymph fisherman. Uh, my nickname at guide school was Nymph because I hate – I'm not a nymph fisherman. I, I like to throw streamers. I like to be on a boat chucking streamers, banging the banks. You know, that's sort of my favorite. Or even swinging streamers, you know. Like, I just – I like I like streamer fishing. And, you know, if, if there's a good hatch, I'll fish dry flies, you know. But nymph fishing, especially with a bobber, yeah. you know. Was it strictly – it was out there. Yeah, well, it was it was nymph fishing with a bobber because you know you're fishing eight feet deep. You know you're you have these huge monster leaders. You know the tippets. You know twelve feet long. Throwing tungsten. Yeah, you it's know and split shot. Yeah, three giant split shot. You're getting really deep. Uh, you know, I'm talking like salmon river. Yes, exactly. So I've never fished the salmon river, but I've heard people talk about it. It's the same style. You know, you're and. You know, I'm studying to become a CI right now, so I've been practicing all summer throwing, you know, these tight loops, you yeah. know, nice dry fly casting. And I get out there the first day, I mean, all, different. all hell broke loose because, you know, it's like, you know, I'm you got to throw these big, wide, ugly loops, just get the thing in the water. Not yourself with it, that rig. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, the first day was nothing but tangles. Do you know how to do a right angle leader? I is that the uh, mono that's not to the, the bobber and the bo- and then the mono goes straight down? Is that like the drop shot rig that Kelly Gallup always talks about? Yeah, I'll have to show okay. it to you. Yeah, I'll have to check that out sometime. But yeah, I mean, it was I had a lot of tangles the first day, and then things improved. I got I caught a few fish on the nymph as the week went on, you know. And now, you know, I, I've taken my raft out a few times since guide school out to Western Maryland and. All I've done is nymph fish, you know, because I'm trying to, you know, get... a nymph preference for out there? Uh, 
midges, so like 18 to 22 on the bottom with a wine or pink-colored worm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, yeah, I know it's not, you know, the most Warm pure, work, pure Warm, form. Worms pay but the bills. Yeah, they, they it, caught, it catches fish, and, um, you know, some of the guys I've met, you know, out fishing there who really know that area, you know, they, they're a lot better at kind of knowing exactly which fly they're going to use at which time, but I tend to stick with, that's sort of my... My standard setup right. is, you know. And how does a nymphing dude go to work down in Beaufort? You don't nymph for red. He fish. wasn't, yeah. So he went. I mean, he and his son were gone. His son flew out and met him immediately after guys' school. He had like one of those teardrop campers. So he was, yeah. He he's got all the toys. Um, he was doing a big. They went up to Glacier National Park and then they were going somewhere else. I mean, he was he was on a big road trip. So for him, I think it was just. He wanted the experience, but also he knew he was going to be a guide. And I think he, you know, being a Sweetwater Guide School graduate was just going to kind of help him build his business down there. So, because, yeah, he's, you know, he runs a jet boat down, you know, on the flats of Buford, South Carolina for Reds. You know, it's a whole different, you know, world that I won't even pretend to understand because I'm not a saltwater guy. a lot of crabs and shrimps and tides and moon phases. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, he—I don't think he went as much to learn how to, you know, guide for trout, which is what most guys are going there for, as much as it was just to kind of have the experience. And he got it paid for on the GI bills, you know. So nice. it was, you know, it was a, you know, it was a good experience for him to kind of do. So. So you guys were rotating in and out of the guide seat. Did the other people have to pretend to just be like total? rubes like so only on the last day they, so they screw with you yeah no so the last so days one through four you know minus the one day you spent on the reservoir learning how to run a jet sled you know and carp fishing um you uh you know you're, you're working on your technique you're actually acting like a knowledgeable fisherman and you know but the last day is you know what they call final friday is each guy has, you know, about three hours, you know, where he is the guide. So I went first and, um, you know, I'm rowing the boat and I have to make small talk. I have to get them in the boat, you know, get it in the water, you know, kind of go through all the different steps you take as a guide if I was guiding on the bighorn and then, you know, make conversation, you know, they're going to ask me questions. Oh, what kind of bird is that? You it's know, the same stories. Of... you got to have some good, dirty jokes. Exactly. you got to and... change your jokes up based on the clients. Yeah. I've and... got analogies I can't use with kids. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I just switch it up. I had this kid the other day. I've never seen, like, a, a 10-year-old that focused on fly fishing. Mm-hmm. The kid was an animal. That's awesome. He caught, let me show you this pumpkin seed. Oh, pumpkin I think seed. I saw that. Dude, that thing was bigger than my flip-flop. Yeah. He's not holding it in front of him. Yeah, that's a nice fish. Too bad that's not a bluegill. Look at the colors on him. I thought his, he caught a bluegill, yeah. and I thought a bass ate the bluegill, and he caught the bass. Yeah. It was disgusting. Look at that thing. It was disgusting. That's monster. That kid was an animal. Yeah. So my size ten. Oh yeah, dang! That is a really big fish. Oh, yeah. That's that's a monster. Yeah. Sunfish of. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I was so I had my three hours of guiding, you know, and I had to row and set a proper drift and get my guys, you know, on tail knots. 
Huh? Do you untangle their knots? Yeah, so they would purposely... Well, actually, what they didn't do... I take that back. They didn't really purposely tangle knots. What instead we did is... So is your instructor's in the boat with you. So what he does is he says, Oh, I need you to put up a new rig. So he hands you, you know, a cut-off piece of leader or line about, you know, a foot long, and he gives you a bunch of leader, and, you know, you have to tie up a rig real quick, you know, and get all your knots and... Um, then you hand it to him and then you go and you help your clients again, you get them on fish and then you go back and then he gives you more, you know, it's like, Oh, well you got this tangle and then you had to undo the tangle. But I mean, they simulated, it's not quite as, you know, it's not quite as real as actually. They weren't hazing you. No. And what was neat about that last day was we kind of switched it up and I got to fish with a couple other guys and, um, you know, as the hole we got what's called the meat hole which is like in the first there's a three mile stretch from where the dam is down to the first takeout and the meat hole is like the best hole on that stretch of river and normally it's a gravel bar about a foot up out of the water and then you go and you're waiting around instead we were high water we were at high water so we had to drop anchor you know you're in like six inches and, you know, I put one guy at the top of the hole, one guy at the bottom of the hole on opposite sides of this gravel bar so that they're not, you know, fishing on top of each other. And, you know, at first, nothing's going on. They're not catching fish. I get them a little deeper, move the bobber up, add a little split shot, get them lower because I had them nymph fishing. Um, and then cloud cover comes in, bite turns on, you know, and I'm running back and forth, you know, with the net every 30 seconds because they're just hauling fish oh, out, goodness. you know, every every cast. And it was just, it was like an hour Did straight. Did they tip you? No. Oh, no, come on. And, um. should have tipped you. Yeah. Case of beer? Bottle no of case of beer. But, I mean, we had so much beer at the Chateau or the Motel, as it was called. You know, we had these two giant coolers filled with beer all week, um, you know. There was no shortage, shortage of booze. We didn't take booze out on the boat any day, but, you know, we had plenty uh, every night. So, yeah, then, you know, after an hour on the meat hole, uh, I was done. It was, my turn was over, and then I got to just kind of fish the rest of the day. So that's so. nice that you work the morning, yeah, and then you get to play in the afternoon. Yeah, it was nice. I had no pressure. You know, and I was like, you knew I'm what done. was working for them. So yeah. then you could utilize that for yourself. Well, interestingly enough, I mean, the funny thing about that river is the first three miles are a lot more shallow, and you have all these gravel bars, and you have these kind of defined holes. And normally, in a normal runoff season, you'd have defined, easy-to-see, you know, places to fish. But because the water's so high, the fish were kind of scrambled all over the place when you got further down river. And the river's deeper. So I basically streamer fished the entire day. Streamer so, preference? Uh, we were fishing white and yellow streamers. I, we had, I'm we i trying to remember what it was called, but it had a big cone head on the front, gray and white body with a little red, you know, wire bo- you know wire around the hook. Um, you know, so it gets deep and it gets deep fast. And then after that, I was fishing just like Kelly Gallows patterns, you know, sex dungeons and butt monkeys. and Sinking tip? Know. Uh, yeah, I switched to a sinking line once I switched over to, you know, non-weighted streamers. Right. So before, but the one, one funny thing that happened was that last day, you know, we're banging the banks, you know, one back cast immediately hit, you know, right off the bank and then strip it in. You know, it's one of my casts 
wind caught it and put the cone head and I had I actually had split shot on it because I, to oh. get it down. So I took the cone head plus like two big split shot like right off the dome, you know. And you heard, you know, you metal your, your teeth click when you metal, do that. yeah, metal on bone. And it was just like, oh. uh, what am I doing? And Did you, you apply that to the north branch of the Potomac. Yeah, Same, I mean, like bang of the banks. Yeah, I mean that's one thing. I the water's been, you know. They, you know, because it's controlled flow, you know, based on what the Army Corps of Engineers decides to do on the North Branch. Um, this past weekend really would have been the weekend to do streamer fishing. But we, we mainly nymphed, and then the last stretch we switched over to streamers this right. past weekend. And interestingly enough, Trent caught a, uh, a smallmouth just upstream of the McCool takeout, which... I'm not particularly happy about, you know, I don't want to see smallmouth that far up river. Um, but I mean, the water temperature was, you know, 67 or something. So he must've moved up earlier in the summer and the temperature's down and he's just kind of hanging out there. But, um, yeah, we did some streamer fishing at the end, you know, so, but I mainly rode and then Dalton rode a little bit too. There you go. So. Yeah. Put the other president to work. Yeah, you know, Dalton's good on the sticks, no question. I might have to get him in my boat. Yeah. I'm taking yeah. my neighbor Max out on Saturday. Okay. I think we'll use the trolling motor, though. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it was, guide school was a lot of fun. You know, I, I um, if I'd wanted to guide, if I'd wanted to just kind of drop everything and quit my desk job and run off, I mean, there were jobs to be had. You know, the guys who, the guys who, graduated from my guide school wanted to be guides this summer all got jobs so but most of us were you know we had one guy who's a school teacher i think he wants to you know guide on the summer in the summers and you know we had a couple other guys that might be sort of weekend warrior guides you might you know just be supplemental for outfitters or shops that need a guy you know here and there you know for me it was I know I want to get involved with our Project Healing Waters chapter. You know, the other thing I plan on doing is, you know, taking members out on guided trips to raise funds for the chapter at some point once I get my license. Um, you know, I just need to fill out the paperwork with get that after. DNR. You're after? I'm not. I'll get the insurance. Yeah. Oh, and all that. such a good deal. It is a good deal. Yeah. I dropped probably 350 bucks when I joined the after insurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely worth it. It's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, um, you know, that's, I, I don't think guiding is probably in my future, uh, you know, but, um, I do think some kind of, it makes you some, a better angler. Absolutely. Yeah. So it was, it was a great experience and I had a, I had a lot of fun with, Very cool. with Sweetwater Guide School. What's yeah. next for you? Um, you know, for now it's going to be running the chapter. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to trying musky fishing this fall. So, you know, with the raft, that opens up a whole lot of new opportunities. So, and uh, I've kind of gotten in with a good group of guys that also raft a lot for fish. Uh, I'm sure you know Connor Donovan Mm -hmm. and uh, a couple other guys I met through him that also have rafts. And, you know, we kind of formed a little flotilla, you know. So, they're, you know, I'm looking forward to getting after some muskie, definitely steelhead fishing this fall. Uh, you know, into the winter, probably I'm going to go up with our chapter to Erie and then also head out to Michigan. 
around Christmas time to what go part? steelhead fishing. Of Michigan? Uh, probably the last two times I've been out, we've done the Pear Marquette. So God, we'll probably beautiful water. Yeah, it was really. It's a cool place. It's tight, and yeah, my friend has not let me row yet. We'll see. If I he would lets. not want to row that stream. Yeah, it's tough. Right. I got to give Trent credit because he yeah. he's uh, where's he out of? He lives in Grand Rapids, okay. and um, he. He mainly fishes the PM, and then he also fishes the Osable or sometimes the Muskegon, mm. and then the Grand River, which actually runs through Grand Rapids. Poor him. Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's got it pretty good. <laughs> There's no question about that. So, um, you know, I think getting, you know, getting my first game, I, I've, I've never caught a steelhead. I've only done it twice, so, you know, it's, I'm not too beat up about it, but, you know, getting, getting my first steelhead's definitely on my bucket list. Even just getting a follow from a muskie would be enough oh, yeah. this year, for sure. If I could even just Burke get one. Okay. Right down the street, yeah. there's a 24-hour ramp. We can go take our boats out anytime you want. Yeah. It's a free 24-hour mm-hmm. ramp. Yeah, I'll have to, I'll, I'll have to try that sometime. And um, we get Trent and Dalton to row us. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen Trent on the sticks. We'll see. We'll see what it is. We'll go in circles. Yeah, might. We might. <laughs> so, yeah, it would... Um, yeah, I'd say that's sort of the next thing in my in my game plan. I'm gonna. I have a buddy of mine. His name's Tom, who lives out in Colorado, who catches just monster trout. So I'm Where gonna, is he? He's out of Denver, and right. I think he mainly fishes like the Gunnison and places like that. And he's a streamer fisherman almost exclusively. But I mean, he catches pigs. You know, just monster. It's not fair what they have. Twenty, twenty-four. I, I mean, we're supposed to be there, plus. but her job is keeping us here. Well. Someday. Uh, we're going, we're moving when my daughter graduates high school. Okay. She just started first grade this week. Okay. So you got like 10 yeah, more bit, years to go, 11 more years. But yeah, so, I, you know, I got some good trips. We're, as a chapter, we're going to be having our first ever saltwater trip in February. We're going to Belize. Nice. Yeah. So tarpon, bonefish, and permit, which are, I've never fished for any of those. The only saltwater fish I've ever I've ever fished for stripers and cobia, so this will be a whole new world for me. Absolutely, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's sort of what I have in the works for now in terms of fly fishing. So, you know, kind of see how this chapter goes and what we can do uh, as a group to sort of move things forward. And you know, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Where can we find you on social media? Um, I'm not a super active guy on social media, to be honest. I'm mean, mostly posting under NCC to you. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, I have my own personal Instagram. Um, it's just, you know, but I'm not, uh, I'm not a, a big social media guy. Uh-huh. You know? So I like to get out and fish, but, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily, you know, make a, a big show out of it or right anything, on. which, you know, it's not a business for me, which is so, it's yeah. totally different. Right. What's the date of the uh, IF4 again? It is September 26th All at right. the Avalon, 8.30 p.m., doors at 8. Very cool. Yeah. The only other thing I, I thought I might talk about was New Zealand. Are you going to New Zealand? No, I already went. You already went? In March. Come yeah. on, man. Yeah. Did I miss that post? I probably skipped it if you posted it. I never it posted it on okay. TF- TPFR. I always meant to, and then I, like, waited too what long. What was New Zealand like? New Zealand was awesome. I didn't do a whole lot of fishing. I had one day of guided fishing, but the rest of it was we rented a we rented a camper van, and it was uh, from this company called Escape Camper Vans, and they have 
all their camper vans have these crazy paint jobs. So, like, ours had all the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on one side, and then, like, the rat guy, I forget yeah. his name, and, like, Splinter. all the, Yeah, Splinter and his, like, you know, his minions on the other side. And, um, yeah, so we went, my girlfriend and I went car, you know, van camping around the South Island, New Zealand. We spent two days on the North Island. You know, we went and saw Hobbiton, the set from Lord of the Rings, which was pretty cool. Because I'm kind of, you know, a Lord of the Rings geek. All right. You know? and, but, yes, the, the South Island was unbelievable. You know, we did some really cool hiking, got to see, you know, each of the cities. We went to Christchurch and Wanaka, Queenstown, which is kind of their version of, you know, like an Aspen or a Vale. Right. You know, it's like a very upscale town. Don't they have a town. version of, like, Oxford or something down there? Um. So, you mean in terms of a school? No, there's like an attack, like a city that looks exactly like England. Like one, like so Oxford or Cambridge. Dunedin, which, so I, I went down there to visit a school. I was thinking about going to grad school in New Zealand. New Zealand? In New Zealand, yeah. Uh, at a school called the University of Otago. And it's in Dunedin, New Zealand, which is, I think, the town you're probably talking about. Okay. And um, the one problem with Dunedin, and I think Dunedin's great, but the best trout fishing is in Gore, which is, they call the brown trout capital of the world. When you drive into town, there's like a 12-foot high, you know, sign of this giant brown trout. It says Gore, you know, brown trout capital of the world. And the Matara River, which is, you know probably on par with like the Madison or the Yellowstone, you know, in terms of just being, you know, one of those quintessential brown trout. Why are you fisheries. still here? Um, you know, it's my career, you know, there kind of go. my life, you know, is sort of here. Being a grown up. Yeah, exactly. So adulting. Yeah, adulting. Adulting pretty hard right now. But um you know, the Matara, that was where I got to go fishing my full day of guided fishing. My girlfriend was a saint for going along with it because it was a uh, 13-hour day, you know, out on the, on the water. And uh, we went out with this guy. Um, oh, shoot. Um, can't believe it. Oh, Casey Cravens, who's a really good guy. He's uh, ambassador and advisor to Thomas & Thomas for the rods. And he let me try out a couple of those. I nice. mean, those rods are like... I mean, they're way outside my budget right now, but boy, are they smooth. Um, and, you know, he put me on some cool fish. I caught a nice, you know, like 19, 20-inch brown, oh, man. you know, on top water on the dry. And he got, in, got into a few others, but that was probably my, you know, you know, my favorite fish. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was just a lot of fun, you know, to go there. My first day car camping or van camping, we went to this campsite that was right on this river. And it, you know, it doesn't look like any river I've ever seen in the States. You know, it's giant gravel, you know, white, off gray, light gravel river with just crystal clear, light blue glacial water running through it and big, you know, fish. And you can see them from the road because the water's so clear. But the problem, of course, being. They can see you. Did you wear the shorts with, like, the blue long underwears? I mean, I, I wore my typical hiking getup. So, you know, I had my Under Armour, you know, leg, you know, my Under Armour gear, you know, and then I wear shorts and, you know, hiking boots. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was I was wet wading in, you know, 60-degree water. and uh, But my very first cast at this campsite you know, I see this run, and it's just clear. You know, it's right below a riffle. You know, it's a t- you know, it's, it's a pool right below it. You know, 
it's, there's no way, and it's five feet off the bank, you know, or what could be construed as a bank, you know, because it's all gravel. And it's, I just plopped, you know, a, I forget what name, I think it was a worm with, you know, a pheasant tail or something on the bottom. And I hooked up with a fish. Very first cast, didn't catch another fish on my own the entire time until I went out with the guy. <laughs> but, Did you go through the, uh, like, tree fern forest at all? Uh, there was one forest we went to on the North Island that has, like, giant redwoods that are, they look like redwoods. They're, you know, huge, massive, wide, you know, trees. Not as big as redwoods, but, you know, sort of close. And, you know, there was a lot of really cool sort of, you know, ecology up there. You know, the North Island especially is insane. It's, you can go, I drove through, and in a space of two hours... I told my girlfriend, oh, look at that. That looks like Montana. Oh, look at that. That looks like South Carolina. That looks like Costa Rica. That looks like, you know, Texas. I mean, it was the weirdest place I've ever been, the North Island of New Zealand, because it was so varied from area to area, and it was, and the changes were so abrupt, you know, that you would go from, like, this tropical forest, and then the next thing you know, it's all evergreen trees, you know, and it was it was just nuts, so... Yeah, New Zealand was a lot of fun. I wish I could have done more fishing, and especially wish I could have done, you know, that when people think of New Zealand fishing, you know, deep in the backcountry, you know, in this river that's just totally overgrown with vegetation, you know, there's 30-inch brown, you know, that's sitting in crystal clear water, you know, and you had to hike in three days just to get there, but we didn't end up having time to do that. So the Matara, though, was was really cool. It actually kind of looks like the Bighorn. You know, it's set in big pasture land, and, you know, it's a sort of slow, meandering river, you know, with a lot. It's pretty wide, and, you know, you can wade all over the place because it's not that deep. So that was that was a lot of fun. And Casey took us at the very end of the day. I'm not, I can't hotspot from 10,000 miles away, I hope. And also, I don't think I could ever properly explain how to get to where he took us. But he took us to this one hole, and we go up there, and it's, you know, these two giant rocks overhanging into this hole, and they've been slowly carved out because it's right at a turn. It's been slowly carving them out over the years, and there's like a 10-foot deep hole. And I look down, and there are probably 30 brown trout over 25 to 30 inches long. I mean, you know, they're like torpedo size around. Just they're stacked up like cordwood. Just hanging out, and they're all eating top water. That's cool. They're all coming up, and they're all eating top water. And my girlfriend hadn't caught a fish all day, and I was convinced that she was going to catch the fish of the day, which unfortunately didn't happen. But You could put a ring on that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, someday, you know. But See, in um, five years, you are rather accomplished. I mean, you know, it, that I've gotten to go on some cool trips, yeah. you know, for sure. And I've been, you know, lucky to get to go on some of these, you know, for sure. So, um, you know, but looking down at that hole and just seeing these monster, monster oh, trout. And, it, yeah, and it was late in the day, so it was, you know, visibility was getting pretty tough. There was a lot of glare off the water, but you could see them down there. And it was the only fish I'd ever seen that big was... One time in last fall in, like, November, I went up to south-central PA, and I went and fished Antietam Creek. Okay. And it was, what town was it right outside of Waynesboro, I think? And I saw 
that was the only time I'd ever seen a trout that big in my life. It was 30-plus inches. And you it just saw torpedoes stacked up on torpedoes. Just in tons of them. And it was, I mean... How can they all get that big? Well, there's that, very... So what he told me was... What Casey told me was that that river... It's known as one of the best dry fly rivers in the world. And, you know, it's all about, you know, getting the perfect drift and, you know, having the right, you know, having just the right fly. And, you know, although I caught mine on a parachute, not surprisingly, you know. What are they all eating that they can support that? But they're not that there's the thing that he told me is there's only 700 trout per mile, which is, you know. Versus a place like the Madison, where there's twelve thousand trout per mile or twelve thousand pounds of trout, so fewer per mile. of them with more food, but they're just big. They're huge. They're trout. No, they're not. There's no ospreys. There's no eagles eating them. No, that's the other thing about New Zealand is obviously none of these are native. They're right. all you know. They were stocked there at some point. You know, in between the 1870s yeah. and the mid 1950s. But you know, they're. They're all wild now, and they're just huge. I mean, it was insane. I, I've never seen a hole of fish like that in my life. I probably would never see a hole of fish like yeah. that again. And it was, I didn't catch a single one of them. But it's, I'm not going to ever being able to see that alone yeah. is that's will, a bucket list. Thing. I will never forget that. So awesome. that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Very so, cool. Yeah, New Zealand was. I highly advocate for anybody who's thinking about going down there someday to do it and definitely rent the van because that's i don't think that was how we managed to kind of keep it affordable was right. we didn't have to pay for lodging and you know we didn't have to pay for any transportation other than the actual van so you know kind of kept costs down which was great very cool yeah so yeah it was a lot of fun nice yep so, any more surprises no i mean you know i'm i'm looking forward to sort of what this fall is going to bring and you know what the chapter is going to do and I'm looking forward to, you know, having some good meetings and some good outings and getting involved, you know, with healing waters and um, what we, you know, seeing how we as a chapter kind of progress over the next, you know, our operating year, as we call it, you know, right. September again through August. So, and see where we're at sort of a year from now and hopefully kind of extrapolate some of the lessons we learned and share them with other chapters around the country. Very cool. So, yeah. All right, well, thanks for telling us all this, uh, your stories today. Yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah. you folks, head over to IF4 at the, the Avalon. Yep. September 26th. All right, very yeah. cool. Hey, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. <laughs>